Welcome, guys, to the Cup of Nurses podcast with your hosts, Peter Fendero and myself, Matt Slarchuk. This is a podcast where we tackle current health news and hot nursing topics one conversation at a time. Thank you, everyone, that finds value in this podcast. And if you do, please give us a review, follow, share, smash the five stars if you can. You have no idea how much it helps us. It boosts us in the algorithm. People discover us a lot more, and it motivates us to keep on producing this high-quality content. PD, what's up? Not much, man. I'm glad I'm back from Chicago, liking this beautiful weather that we're having here. But we have another amazing episode for you guys, episode number 95, I believe. Almost, almost at 100, man. Five more weeks, and we're at 100 episodes. So on this episode, guys, we're going to talk about the ICU, specifically why we enjoy the ICU and why nurses prefer working in the ICU. Some of the main reasons why we prefer the ICU or in general why the ICU is seen to be as more beneficial and kind of more for, you know, for certain kind of nurses is because there's pay, patient ratios. You know, we don't have more than two patients usually. It makes it more marketable in the future, more critical thinking, and we like to be there for our patients during their most vulnerable times. And we're also going to touch base upon a little bit of good qualities for like your common ICU nurse. Yeah. So first I, off, go ahead. I did, I did my fair share working med surge for almost a year. So I, I know the difference. I floated to so many units. You did too as a traveler. And you just know how other units operate and what they are. And there's just something special about taking very vulnerable patients mm. and being there for them during their toughest times. And I think it gives me a lot of like, it humbles me We're being an ICU nurse, you know? Yeah. And, I, and I enjoy it. I enjoy every single shift. Of course, there's those hard shifts and you're scratching yourself on your head. And you're like, damn, Sometimes nursing is just not it, you know? Yeah, it's tiring work in the ICU, you know? You get oh, tired. hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Imagine, like, you know, like, during this time of C19, like, sometimes you're in the room flipping the patients yourself, and, like, sometimes a nurse comes by, and she's like, you need help? As I'm, like, trying to turn the patient myself, and it's like, no, no, thank you, because it takes them, like, five minutes to gown on. Mm-hmm. I'd rather just turn on myself, I'm putting my back at, at risk, and I just shove yeah. the pillow, you know? Yeah, a lot of solo work going on now, because it's just... You know, you're in the room and yes, like I said, somebody wants help you, but by the time they got in and got out, you could probably already take care of the, the, the task you were doing, right? And even myself, I noticed, I, like Matt said, we we're turning our patients by ourselves more, even boosting them up. So usually I try to Dillenberg my patient and then just pull them up that way, you know, instead of calling for, for help. Because like, first of all, we're short staffed and the ratios aren't the most appropriate, even though it's in California, right? It's a crisis, it's a pandemic. So we kind of have to sell our differences and kind of Give us, give us the ego check and not be so, I don't want to say needy, but you know, that's just how it is. Like they're providing for us as much as they can. You know, if they had the chance to staff adequately, I'm sure they would. I'm sure they're taking of all course. the measures, but it's just the time that we live in. It's just hard to get as much staff as you need just because it's such a bad time. And, and of course, like even for travel nurses, there are very high paying contracts. So, you know, in this point in time, a lot of nurses are, ch- are chasing money which, you know, no hate for that. Like, yeah, chase that check, right? But, you know, these are less, these hospitals are paying a little bit less. They're not going to be as, as like, up there just based on location, right? Because California was always a hot spot, right? Yeah. Now for vaca- for travel nurses because, you know, the weather's amazing, climate's amazing, but now it's the southern states. Why? The, the weather there is okay, but the money's there. So uh, me as a travel nurse, I would rather make, you know, 10K a week or X amount of, thousand dollars a week uh like i'm not the most ideal state to then go to california just for the climate you know i agree with you man so next time we might just pick up a crisis rate yeah so just to get a little synopsis of why we prefer the icu so maybe those have never worked in the icu don't understand what the intensive care unit is 
It's basically dedicated to critically ill patients that require close supervision. Let's just say normally you're going to have a five to one patient ratio and med surgery is six to one outside of Cali. Here you're going to have usually two, two to one. You're going to have patients that are usually intubated. They're going to be on pressors. Sometimes if a patient had a stroke and we give them TPA, the anti-clot buster, they're going to be in the ICU for one-on-one supervision for the first uh, is it 12 hours, first six hours when they get the um, clot buster. You're going to be man- managing multiple drips. And sometimes you might even have a one-to-one patient. So those are even, even critical. They require constant monitoring. Those are patients that have a balloon pumps, are impella, fresh open hearts, um, CRT, we need renal replacements, ECMO, when they do um, bypasses. And sometimes we see those patients. Um, some ICUs, you'll have a um, special department like neurology, cardiac for CVICU nurses. And, and sometimes it could just be a general ICU. Uh, the ones that we're working with currently in this contract, it's a generalized. We see everything from COVID to ECMO devices to CRT, intubated, regular ETOHs, which is not prevalent as much now. It's a very, very wide variety. So I'm very thankful for us to be able to see all this, you know. And not only is is a very patient care care intensive, we also have to, you know, chart everything. So an ICU we don't chart every four hours or whatever. We literally chart every hour. These drips are going every hour. We do eyes and nose every hour. We do hourly rounds. And even like Matt said, if we have a stroke patient, guess what? We're doing neural assessments or the NIHA scale every 15 minutes, every five minutes. You know, that's why they're in the ICU because they're they're very sick. And and it looks like from like an outside perspective, like two patients, that doesn't sound too bad. Yeah, but the amount of things you're doing for those two patients and the amount of monitoring you're doing, it's a, it's a, it's a lot. And then you plus you throw in charting every hour. Like you have to be very mindful of your time and mindful of like the patient status because in the ICU, patient can drop at, at any point in time. Yeah. Especially if you have a patient that has like weird arrhythmias, like they're going in and out of VTAC and no one can really figure out why. Their lights are fine, you know, but they have heart failure. So it's one of the complications and you can't figure out why. Those patients are, are going to tank and they're going to drop fairly quickly. So it's like you have to be literally on your toes all the time. Like I said, two patients does seem like a lot. But the amount of stuff you're doing for those patients, it's it's a, a lot of work. And there's no CNAs either, so there's no really no help. It's just nurses and nurses helping each other. And like, like we said before, it's a pandemic, so you can't even have two nurses in a room sometimes. It's just, you just can't always have it happen. But we're literally doing all the turning. We're doing all the patient care. We're doing all the baths. We're doing all the oral care. We're eyes and nose every hour. Like, it's, it's a lot of work. Yeah, even though we prefer, like, we get our ass kicked, mm-hmm. man. It's tough. Not to mention, like, let's just say you have nine drips or eight drips. Every single hour, you have to input those numbers into um, uh, the, the what's it called the monitoring or what? Geez, I'm blanking out. Like the into the thing. electronic medical record. That's what I wanted to say because the, in our hospital, the vitals and everything. Oh, vitals transfer over, but not the eyes and nose. So we have to manually put in all our drips. That takes a lot of work sometimes. Like, and if you're doing CRT, let's just say one to one, it doesn't sound like anything. You have one patient, wow! But like every single hour, you have to go into the room, chart the numbers. Then you have to adjust the blood flows to see how much um, the, the pump is going to take fluids away from the patient. Sometimes you have to go in there because their pressure can't handle it. You got to adjust it. Like there's a lot of critical thinking and there's a lot of back and forth in the rooms going on. So even though like our first point was we like the ICU for that reason because we have less patients. So two patients was, was one of our first reasons that we like the ICU. There is a lot of critical thinking around it. Like Matt said, there's so much to do where most of the time you're, you're, you're always busy. Yeah. And that's kind of cool. Like I'd rather have two patients and focus all my care on those people 
compared to having four, five, or six patients and just be in the room for a little bit out and then off to the next patient, right? So like that basically, I feel like there's a saying that if you're like a medtech RN, the RN stands for refreshments on narcotics, yeah. you're not really chasing that with these, with these patients. These are very sick patients. Like I said, most of them, if not all, are intubated, sedated, so they don't really need any kind of refreshments or narcotics because they're, they're already on a bunch of drips, right? So it's cool to have that because you're literally taking care of every single thing. Like, you know, you start the tube feeds, you're, you give the, the, the bolus the bolus water if their sodium is, you know, an inappropriate level and you're doing all that care. And I, I like doing that because you literally know the patient inside and out. Because how many times have you like, well, not necessarily for us, but like I say, you got floated. Like your, your report is a lot more in depth than a typical mentor's report, right? Definitely. Like you literally go from head to, to toe compared to like, like these mentor nurses that they kind of have like a broad idea of the patient, right? And I see, we know our patient in and out from literally from their ears to their toes, dude. Like we know that that person like completely and- And how their butt looks. Right, and that's why you, we don't do rapid responses in the ICU because you don't need to do a rapid response because we literally know our patient, right? And we have access to all those things compared to when you go to med surge or like a, like a step down floor where they do rapid responses and you come out to help. A lot of times the nurse is a little frazzled because they don't know exactly what's going on because they don't know the patient fully, you know? Like it does happen, patients do crash on med surge, telefloors, patients crash everywhere, right? But the thing that we're trying to bring up is why the ICU has two patients is because we know the people in and out and we literally have access to every kind of medication on that floor. And it's expected to us to, to confront that issue in a timely matter because we have all the, re- all the resources on, on hand. The one thing that I didn't like about metrics and floating is like the Pixis or the Omnicell doesn't have all the medication stock that, that you would need. A lot of it's coming from pharmacy, right? In the ICU, if someone needs atropine, you just grab it real quick, you got atropine. If you need like, um, like a not so common presser, like maybe you need... Um, like a vasopressin, right? That's not really stocked on a common floor. You get, for sure you have your epi and your, and your levo, but if someone wants to start on, on a vaso, then you're probably gonna wait for pharmacy. Compared to ICU floors, they're usually already over there. Yeah, and we're not undermining any other units. No, of course that's, not. Yeah. That's just our preference, correct? And when I did my one year in med surge, you are right. So it becomes very, very tasky, correct? So I kind of know how my night might play out. Patients are kind of stable. This is the process. Here in the ICU, you get your patient for four hours, Next four hours, just shit changes. The orders are being rewritten, and it's like always, always, you know, switching things up. And like, yeah, like sometimes as a med surge nurse, you have like one patient that needs the water, other one needs the pain pill, another one needs to be changed, and it's like people are pressing the call light, and it just gets aggravating because you are just like this nurse that's just like running through tasks and. I didn't choose nursing to be just constantly doing tasks and tasks and knocking things out. I kind of wanted to get at the critical component and dive into like on a you know an anatomy level what's happening, how can we change this? I'm giving this drug, how is it affecting him? Mm. And you do that in critical care and I love it for that reason. Right. Like we don't mind working in like a menstrual floor or telly like, you know, if if I had to work menstrual my whole life or telly, like I'd be okay with it. It's just not my preference. Yeah. Right. Like that's how it works. Some people prefer the med surge route, the protelli route, and that's completely okay. It's just, it's just not what we want to do like indefinitely, right? That's why we prefer the ICU. Another reason why we like the ICU is it usually pays more and it makes it more marketable. So me and Matt, we most of the thoughts that go through our head or our plans, we usually kind of look look to the future, right? Like what can I do now that I enjoy that will benefit me in the future? And yeah. the ICU is actually perfect for that because for the fact that it makes it more marketable, right? There's no unit that's more critical than the ICU, right? So let's just say there, for example, all the ICU units are, are staffed and we want a job at this hospital, you know, 
technically we could work metric tally step down because it's expected of us to know what to do in the situation. Those we work with IC, right? right? And if they need somebody to float, you know, we're the ideal candidate because we're supposed to know the ICU and everything below us. Like a med surgeon nurse and a nurse can go to the ICU whenever they want, right? But as an ICU nurse, you could basically travel throughout each unit and just kind of move along. You're basically um, disposable to each unit. And it does have its drawbacks because like I said, Matt and I prefer the ICU. So if we get floated, that's not our most ideal situation. But then again, it does make us more marketable for the future because we have the opportunity or if an emergency arises, we are going to be the ones to kind of go help out these units compared to nurses going up we're going down technically yeah. in, in and, skill. And usually because you have that specialty, you, you tend to make more money. It just, it is what it is, you know? You have a higher value, people are going to pay you a lot more. And look at like, you know, during this time, during the pandemic, who is most at risk? What units are being overflown, overpopulated right now with patients? Uh, the ICU. And one little drawback with this is, let's just say you're a travel nurse. So like Kaiser liked to do this to me. So... I was an ICU traveler that hired me because, of course, of my skill set. But then I floated literally to every single department in that hospital. I've only worked ICU for my three-month contract probably once a week, if not once every other week. I was constantly being floated. In Oakland? In, um, no, this was in San Diego. Okay. So see, that's their preference because you already have that skill set. You're like a little chess piece and they could place you anywhere. Mm. So that, that just be wary of... Travel nursing, when it comes to working at Kaiser specifically, they'll do that to you. But nevertheless, you are a marketable key player to the hospital because you can be placed anywhere and you can handle any critical situation, even if you have five patients. If, if your patient is tanking, like, you know what I mean? Like, let's just say on the med surge floor and the blood pressure is low, like 70 over 35, you are more prone to just handle it yourself, meaning... You call, you call the doctor, you'll get a quick bolus, and then you'll monitor and see what's going compared to that nurse that's freaking out, doesn't even recheck the blood pressure, just calls a rapid response. There's a difference in critical thinking. Mm-hmm. And the ICU nurses just have it more, unfortunately. Not unfortunately, but it's just our skill set because this is what we deal with. Right. Yeah, yeah. the next reason why we like the ICU is it's more thinking and fixing on the spot and less kind of touchy-feely. Like we said before, most patients are intubated data, so you don't really have an opportunity to converse with them, right? You don't really know what they're going through or what they went through before they came to the hospital. The only chance or only scope you get at that part of their life is through their family or through their friends when they call or, or, or visit. I mean, at this point in time, you don't really have much visitors. So everything is done, done by the phone. And unfortunately we lose the aspect of getting to know the patient through the family during this pandemic because these phone calls are usually kind of quick, right? Because there's so much stuff going on where you don't really have a lot of time to chit chat with the family, right? Because you're from one room to, to the next and you know, if people are, are critical, you can't really have family keep calling because it's taken away from patient care, right? So we live in a very, like, very troubling time, you know, especially if you're, if you're a patient or, or if you're sick. Because normally, in a regular world of pre-COVID times, there were times where I talked to family and I get to know each other, we'd have a conversation, you know, and then they call them the next night, you're, you're working the few nights in a row, so you kind of, kind of get to know the family member or the friend over the phone because you guys have time to converse. Yeah, have time I, to I, I miss that, man. Yeah. Here, you don't really have time because usually family calls and they know the rules and they just want the information and you give them information. And now we're even only allowing one person to be the, the phone person, right? Yes. So before you would have like the sister call, the friend call, the brother would call and the aunt would call. Now there's only one designated person and yeah. it's the only, only person you're really communicating through. So like I said, it has its drawbacks and it has its positives because there is times where the patient can be, over, or not the patient, but the family can be very overwhelming. So we don't really see that as much right now. So like... 
I don't want to say that we're emotionless in the ICU. We're just not as in tune with the patient's emotions as we would be on a med search floor where the patient's walking talkie. Yeah, because everybody's literally on a freaking breathing tube. Exactly. And that's what I was saying. I miss, I miss having those patients where we could just chat, laugh a little bit, even though they're sick. Some patients like to be optimistic or you see their personality or you ask them like what they did for a living, where they traveled to. And you guys are having an awesome conversation and you're helping that patient take time away from their critical situation and you help them kind of escape a little bit. And I, and I love that all the time. And I used to, sometimes when I had some free time at night, I used to pop a chair and I just like hang out with my patient and like listen to them talk. Like sometimes it was like a doctor that like, um, he was in Amazon rainforest for a couple of years and he was doing like surgeries there and different remedies with like plants. I'm like, damn, that's cool as hell. Let me hear what you have to say. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I missed all that because now, yeah, everybody's breathing through a breathing tube and that whole touchy feely, I'll say it's a double-edged sword because yes. we also have patients, of course, that are dying, that family comes in, their DNR. Like we, we experience those emotions uh, as well, but not as much because of, you know, less walkie-talkie patients, I would say, during this time. Yeah, a lot of our emotions are expelled during like the grieving and dying process yeah. of like the, the patient's lives compared to like the other floors where most of their emotions like expelled and like stories because if you have like a cancer patient and that cancer patient has been there for for weeks you talk to them and you yeah. know you understand what they're going through because they, they explain how they feel the things they went through and those emotions really really take over you know and like in icu like we said they're intubated sedated so we don't really have that kind of aspect and most of our emotions are released upon that the dying process when you got to talk to the family and the family is like reminiscing on, on how on how their uncle was or their father was when they were alive. So that's where our emotions kind of come out because yeah. there really isn't a really time or opportunity for emotions when you're dealing with, with patient care, really. And that kind of goes into our next point is why we prefer the ICU because we like to be there for people in their worst situation, you know? I feel like I have this gift that I could actually help people talk to them, talk them down, make them feel better in like their worst times. Because yeah. we're literally there, like no one wants to be in the hospital, man. Mm. And we're there for these people, these families that are like in their most vulnerable times or crying. They'll tell you things that they don't usually tell their people, but they're just vulnerable. And it's, it's great to listen to. And I have like my utmost respect for everybody, for the profession. And I feel humbled sometimes. Like I got chills right now. Look, yeah. this is how real it is, guys. Like the emotions are literally real when it comes to being there and like end of life. And, and sometimes... Sometimes you hold the iPad for a patient because they can't see the family. And that's the last time that they seen that family member is just being intubated and looking like a hot mess, unfortunately. And it's sad to say that that happens, man. Both of my hands have chills. Ooh. Like it's interesting <laughs> when you go into like a patient's room to ice you and sometimes you get those vibes. Like you, you like sense the energy and what's going on in the room. I mean, sometimes you don't, sometimes you don't really feel anything, but there's times where just like, like, damn, like, it, like this room feels different, you know, and you can't really figure out why. And it's crazy because, like Matt said, these patients, they're very sick. And what's crazy about it is we have on so much medications that when we extubate them, if they get better, they don't remember what the hell, what the hell happened. Yeah. So there's something about the ICU that draws nurses. And the, the fact of the matter, why it's so drawing and so captivating to a lot of nurses and, and people that want to work in the ICU is because you're literally taking care of somebody that has no clue what is going going on around them. Like as ICU nurses, we like control. 
and we're literally controlling that person's life. Yeah. Because everything that we do do to that patient, every mistake that we could we could make, every you know thing we miss or everything that we, we do well impacts their their life. Like they're literally on the brink of death. Yep. And it sounds kind of weird. But we are literally in control of this person's life because they're sedated, intubated. They can't talk. They can't feel. They don't know what's going on. Yeah, we give them a sedation vacation and they're awake for that point in time. But when we extubate them, they don't remember those sedation vacations. I never remember my sedation vacation when I I was intubated and stuff like that. I don't remember anything that that happened, right? These patients don't either. And that's what's crazy about it. And that's why, to me at least, it's it's drawing because that like kind of like that control aspect. I feel like, especially for males, we like to be in control of things. And that's why majority of, of men tend to kind of push for the ICU because you you have that control of of a life. It kind of sounds weird. It kind of makes you sound like a psychopath, right? Like, you know, being yeah. in control of someone's life, but that's literally how it is. And just, it's almost like an honor to have that opportunity. You know what it is? It's, it's a weird feeling mm-hmm. because you literally forget about your life completely for 12 hours. Like nothing matters, dude. Like I leave my shit on the door, right? Everything that's going on in my life, my problems, like let's just say this podcast recording, it just disappears. And like you have like this new mission for 12 hours and nothing matters about you. It's just this person yeah. or these two people. And it's it's a weird experience to like go through. It's very captivating. Like I've never, if when when I was, when I look back at myself as a new grad, I never knew this much like power can be in nurses' hands. Right. Like it's really weird to think about when you look back at it because when you're, in the ICU when you're working, you don't really have time to think about how important your job is or or how meaningful your work is or what you're actually doing as a nurse. And then when you sit back and take a step back and kind of take a bird's eye view, you're just like, damn, I'm an ICU nurse. Most of my patients don't know what the hell is going on. And their life literally depends on me being able to do my job and the physicians and everybody around us. Yep. And th- that, that is their life. And it's life and death. That's, yeah. Like right now, me and Matt are sitting. We could talk whatever we want to talk. We could move around. We could do whatever we want. We have freedom of choice. We have, we have our willpower. We have everything. But this patient laying in the bed has nothing. And it just, it's just us. Like they're living through us. Like it's yeah. crazy to think about like that kind of level. Yeah. Even like sometimes when they're like talking to you and they're they're scared and you just tell them like, trust me. I always tell my patients like, trust me, you have nothing to worry about, you're, you're safe in my hands. And then when I, when I say those words, I actually freaking mean them, man. Like, I'm, like I hustle, like sometimes I hold my bladder and just like every other nurse, cause you're really trying to be there for that person. And, you know, speaking of worse situations, I hate how sometimes I have a patient that's like, I have them for three days and every single day, like they're in this fighting battle between living and dying and they just keep deteriorating. Mm-hmm. It's like the worst feeling, man. The patient just keeps going down the down the gutter or I don't want to even say shitter because right. that sounded bad, but like, it's just like, it sucks, man. It makes you feel like, and, th- and this is where an ICU nurse can't tie their emotions into the patient mm-hmm. because... It is what it is, right? God have, has his plan for that patient. It's not your fault that the patient's deteriorating. You're doing everything you can. Don't feel hopeless about it. You are still a great nurse. You know, that's that's things that we have to kind of remember sometimes because like having three shitty shifts sometimes or bad situations or putting a person in a body bag, you know, let's just say once or twice a shift or every other, like it gets to you sometimes, man. Oh, yeah. It's it's insane. And like, yeah, when you're first starting off as an ICU nurse, like those deaths are gonna are gonna hit you differently. Yeah, because most of us, most of you listeners, you know, especially in ICU, you're gonna see more death than the average person's ever gonna see in their life. You're gonna see more death than the average person can even count. You're gonna see more death than you have a family and of friends, dude. Because there, especially during this pandemic, like one or one night, 
one 24 hour period days, day shift and night shift, there's nine deaths in one 24 hour period. Like imagine, man, people yeah. don't even see nine deaths in, in like in their whole lifetime. Right. People don't even have nine family members that they could call by name. Like it's crazy, dude. And it's just like, that's how the ICU works. And I don't want to make it, I don't want to downplay death or anything, but sometimes you have to desensitize th- that because, you know, the, the hardest thing to, to deal with in the ICU is probably having a patient there for like two or three weeks at a time. And you're doing most, and you're with them most of your shifts, right? You know, you take care of them most of the times that, you, that you're there. And it's, it's hard to deal with something where a patient deteriorating and then you have them and they're doing better for, for a few days. And then you're like, oh damn, maybe that might pull for a deteriorate yeah. again. And then they're going back, seesaw, back and forth, back and forth, because you're gaining happy emotions one shift and these hard emotions in the next shift. And you, your, your emotions regulate your temperament and they regulate how you feel, uh, how you act, right? So imagine having a working like, you know, six days or three days and then every every other day is a different emotion like that takes a toll on you yep that's why learning nurses have to take care of themselves like self-care is important because especially if you're new especially if you're new because if when i was new i had a, a patient that was doing great you know next day I come back he's intubated today i'm just like damn okay i'll still take care of him and then the next day he's extubated i'm just like okay he's gonna, he's gonna pull through the other day you know he gets diagnosed with like untreatable heart failure and they're working up for an elevator you're, like, you're just like damn so now it's going even worse and then the next day you come back, he's doing a little better. And the next day he's intubated again. You're just like, holy shit. Like you're feeling so much emotion at that point in time, especially those soft effects where they go from intubated, extubated because you get to talk to them for, for a few days and then they're back on the vent and you can't talk to them. And then you extubate them, you talk to them for, again for a little bit and then, then you can't. It's, it's crazy, dude. Like yeah. it's hard it's, to come It's an emotional and, roller coaster. Right. And when you're in the moment, it's hard to grasp that concept and grasp that idea. But when you take a step back and kind of look at how your shifts are going or how your month has been or your, or your year, you see that and you're just like, holy shit, like these people are make, actually making some sense. Like, man, Peter actually pointed out some good ass, good ass topics there. It's, it's really hard for people to realize and you have to be a nurse for X amount of time to kind of be able to step back. Yeah, I think even this episode is great for us because we, we don't even have time to look back at it. You know, that's why I got chills. I'm like, damn, man, like this stuff actually goes on. And yeah, you just can't fathom the, the ideas during that time. Yeah, especially like work is very stressful. So you don't really have time to think about yourself in a hospital. And a lot of times you don't think about ourselves in a hospital and then that we kind of carry that that to home, to home life because then we get in the mindset of, yeah, this kind of sucks today, but it could be worse, you know? And and you don't want to be always in that, in that mindset, right? Where it could be worse, it could be worse because then like you're just living a bad life. You're not feeling very fulfilled. You're not feeling very happy. So you have to be able to kind of catch yourself be like, yeah, it could be worse. I could be in the data like that patient was, but I also am not. So let's take advantage of this opportunity of this life that I've I've been given, this healthy life, and let's move along with it. Right? Yes. Because you know, it's easy to get caught in emotion because like I said, our emotions, our temperament are basically our, our us. Unlike thoughts, you know, because thoughts are different. Thoughts come and go. You, you can't control your thoughts. But for the most part, you can control your emotions, right? Because a lot of emotions are either reaction or, or action, right? Your emotions are going to cause you to have an action or... A reaction is going to have you to cause an emotion, right? That's kind of how just just the way so goes we, down. we are emotions, but we are not taking our thoughts, but we are more of our emotions. Yes, hundred yeah. percent. So, what are some good qualities of an ICU nurse? You might be thinking. So, we'll go down the list. I'll name them all, and we'll go individually. So, some qualities are planning, communication, critical thinking, research, physical abilities, problem solving, organization, and some good time management. So, the first one, planning. What do, we, what do we mean by planning? So you want to set up your day or your night shift and kind of write down what how things might go, when you have to do what. 
my planning sometimes is like having a little sticky note or having like a piece of paper and just writing things down that I'm going to forget. Like even like the smallest things, like what I do sometimes is when I'm in the, in the C19 rooms, I'll write down my temperatures and my urines on alcohol pad and I'll put it by the window just so I could see it. Mm-hmm. Little things like that. Why? Because Matt knows he's going to forget when he gets out of that room. Such a bad habit. Yeah. Or if I have critical values or if I think of something or if I need orders, I look at the patient's chart. Something's funny. I, I just write all these little notes because you have two patients. If you have like 10 ideas that are floating around, you just might miss it. Mm-hmm. So critical Critical planning plays a long way, and then your shift could become easier when you have all your thoughts written down on paper sometimes. Yeah. But then again, as the ICU and all that planning can go out the window. Yes, double-edged sword, man. But it's always good to plan. When you plan your shift, you're already setting yourself up for, for success. Even when someone was, even if shit was hit the fan, you know, you still had that planning and you kind of already done what you had to do. Now you just take care of the problem. So the second one, guys, is gonna be communication. And the communication here is a little bit different because a lot of our communication is not direct with the patient, but the family. Yeah. So the key to a good ICU communication is you, it's interesting because you're going to have to know the patient in and out, but you're communicating that information to the family. So you have to be able to kind of know the family's vocabulary and, and how, how they kind of speak on their, their like phone etiquette, things like that, because you're not speaking to the patient about themselves and then the patient pass on the information to the family you're speaking to the family about the patient itself because they can't speak for themselves. So it's a different kind of communication that it's regarding. I'm not sure if I'm explaining it the, the, like the, the, most, the, like the most or like the best way, but that's kind of how I see it. It's like you speak differently when you talk to a patient compared to when you talk to a family, right? Yeah, and, and also I think we had an email about this before from work too. Is like you have to be careful on what you say because – and ask your nurse what they, what they told the family. I like asking that too. I like knowing – what the family knows so far and what they were explained. Because if the day shift nurse told them, yeah, 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 everything's going good, there's a lot of hope, and then I come in and I'm straight business, I'm like, yeah, your mother is in critical condition. She's very ill. Mm. And I, I set the tone differently. And now the family's like, oh my gosh, she was just she was just okay in the morning during the day. No, she has been critically ill, but the nurse said something else. So always try to get the story right when you're communicating these important things to the family because imagine what kind of emotional wreck that family is. They can't see them. And for like 30 days, sometimes 60 days with like these patients that are in ECMO, all they do is just get a phone call and updates. Imagine how important that conversation is. You could literally ruin their emotions where they can't sleep the next day. Mm-hmm. So just be very careful of communicating. Right. And number three, guys, is critical thinking. Oh, so this is... Before, before we do that, um, critical thinking, communication as well. Like let's just mention nurses to nurses, right? Nurses to doctor. Like you have to be on top of it as a mm-hmm. communicator, right? Yeah. And I, I think critical thinking comes first because then how you have to communicate what you have to to the doctor. But just like be straightforward. I like how ICU works where we always have a doctor on staff. Just tell them right away, hey, Dr. H, Dr. P, whatever, this is what's going on. What do you want us to do? Mm-hmm. So just, just be more comfortable of communicating things, uh, I would say, straightforward. Don't sugarcoat it. And if you're communicating to the doctor, of course, you want to use an S-bar, right? I think S-bar is the best thing to do. Patient's name, what the situation is, maybe labs or assessments that have to do with that situation, and then maybe list what you think they should do or ask the doctor what they think. Yeah, a lot of nurses fear calling the physician and calling the doctor which is pretty common in like regular floors, but here in ICU, you work directly with the physician. Like the physician is on the floor, you could talk about, you could literally have a conversation with them. 
when you talk to a physician in an ICU, you could talk about, you know, your life. You could talk about what the patient needs. You could like, have a conversation with them. Compared to like the med surge floors or a tele floors or a step downs where, where they don't see a doctor directly, they got, they got to call them at home. Yes. So you have a physician on call. So that's kind of a different approach to communication than compared to ICU where you have a person on call. Not on call, but on hand. Like they're always there. So it's easier for you to kind of talk to them because you're actually seeing them in person and you get to know them. So the communication is a little bit easier compared to you having to call a physician at, while they're at home. And you know, that physician is kind of like, you know, not the most nicest guy. Yeah. And you know, he's going to be bothered. So it's a communication different in ICU because you have the access, the physician access to, to basically all your needs. So then we'll watch critical thinking. So critical thinking is not something that just happens, right? No matter how much books you read, no matter how much good grades you got in your school, critical thinking is something that developed over time. And like an example of critical thinking is if someone's blood pressure is low, let's say you start on, you know to start on, on level. But where the critical thinking comes in is now that they're on level, the blood pressure is fixed, but now they're, th- now they're getting tachycardic or they're throwing a lot of PVCs, you know, or they're getting some tachyarrhythmias. So as a critical thinking nurse, you might be thinking like, okay, this, this level might not be the best choice. Why don't we try Neo? And guess what? Neo's gonna measure blood pressure too, but it doesn't have as much effect on the arrhythmia as Levo would. And that's kind of how critical thinking, thinking works. You're, you're, you're a well-seasoned nurse and kind of had an idea of changing up blood pressure medications to kind of fit the, the patient's scope of, scope of health or like yeah. just, just the scope of the manner the patient is in. So that's kind of critical thinking. It's probably the most common example I can think of in my head right now. Yeah, and same thing, like let's just say you have a situation, you have a patient that had a low K in the morning, had some replacements. Now at the nighttime, you know, he's throwing some PVCs or some PACs. Rhythm's a little bit funky, regular. You could either just brush it off and continue your day or your night, your shift. Or you could be like, hey, like, let's just say well, how much K was given. Let's just check a K. And a doctor's not going to, doc, the doctors don't have time to be like, hey, he's throwing a lot of PVCs. What was his last potassium or what was his last mag? no. You're the detective here, investigate the situation, figure out what was given when, and maybe instead of waiting till your four o'clock labs, you're going to draw some labs at midnight or 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and figure out the situation. Maybe the K was low the whole entire time. Maybe the mag was low instead. Maybe there's another situation. So it's like, yes, you always have to be critical thinking, man, in the ICU, like the littlest stuff sometimes, or sometimes things get missed in report, and you just gotta have to like, think about these, fill in the blanks, Sometimes the intensivists don't have time to review things properly and you have to go do it yourself. Perfect little example. I had a patient on the insulin drip. The intensivist never canceled the, um, the sliding scale for insulin, correct? So if I wasn't critical thinking, I'd be giving the patient insulin through the IV and then I would also shoot them up in the, in the sub-Q. Mm-hmm. I asked, hey, Dr. H, you know, I usually, I never did this before. Do you want me to cancel? Oh, yeah, yeah, cancel the order. Oh, Perfect little mistake that was caught. Mm. Just take some common sense, I guess, right? That's not common all the time. And just like Pete said, yes, you'll keep developing this over time. Like I think, I don't think I'm on my peak yet of just knowing knowledge, but geez, what I knew two years ago to what I know now is a complete difference. Like you're always growing in nursing. It's a growth mindset, you know? Hell yeah. And the fourth one guy is even research. So a lot, when you think of research, a lot of times we think of like research studies, looking at like Google Scholar, things like that. But the research that I kind of want to touch upon here is like the research towards your, your patient, right? So a lot of ICU nurses, we want to know what kind of medication the patient is getting, but also like, like why. So a lot of times if I don't know what medication is, I do my research about it. Like I'm trying to figure out why this person is, is on it. Like let's say he's on steroids and I can't figure out why he's on steroids. He's, he's not a COVID and 
doesn't seem like he has any kind of, you know, acute issues that needing steroids. But then I look back at it and it says he's got lupus. And I know, like, oh, that makes sense. He's getting steroids for lupus. You know, that kind of research. Like you're researching yeah. your, your patient. You're researching what each physician notices. So you're looking at what did GI write? What did neuro write? What did cardiology write? What did um, ID write? And you're literally doing research on your patient and trying to figure out what's wrong with them. Because just because they have a certain amount of symptoms, those symptoms can be ranging from different parts of the body, right? Yes. Because patient is in for one thing, we're treating them for, for a lot of things, especially in the ICU. There's not just like a GI bleed going on. There's a GI bleed plus like a few other things going on. There's always the their illness, if they're in ICU, their illness is at the point where we're not only treating the illness, but also treating all these side effects of this illness at the same point. So the whole care team has to be involved and your job as a nurse in the ICU is to research on what all these physicians are saying and you kind of get a big picture view of what the patient is actually going through and why we're doing all these treatment modalities. And sometimes you're the messenger between all these physicians or consults and you're the one that's like facilitating maybe what should be done or suggestions and you tell the other shift and then that nurse suggests things in the day shift and then treatment might change a little bit. Yeah, that's critical thinking and using research, right? And I think that's what another thing why I like ICU so much is because it takes away from the tasks and you're doing things that actually kind of matter for the patient. Yes, it matters if you're bringing them pain pills and all this good stuff, but like this is just a little bit different. It's rewarding. I, I like it for that mm, reason. It's fun. The next one is physical abilities. And what we mean by this is ICU and in general nursing is very labor intensive. So you kind of really might want to get your physical ability up, working out, cardio, whatever it is, like it's going to make a difference. Mm. Like there's a reason why Peter and I are able to turn to patients ourselves and they're heavy as hell. It's just we're physically more fit and that, that removes less time of what we need and we need to get help and things like that. Not only that, but what about back injuries? Let's not forget how important it is to take care of your back. You have only one body and you know it yourself, right? You screwed up your back lifting a patient in a nursing home. Like it matters how you do things. So take time to have the to have good form or strengthen your glutes, whatever it might be. It's not only for your health, like physical health, it's also going to play at work. It's going to make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Next one, guys, is going to be problem solving. It kind of goes hand in hand with critical thinking. But the one thing I could think of with like problem solving skills, those are also going to evolve over time, right? Yes. Just like critical thinking. So let's, for example, you have a patient that's tacky and he's borderline hypotensive, right? So your problem solving is going to start with what do I need to fix? He's tacky throwing PVCs more than usual, and he's borderline hypotensive. Like, we don't need to address it yet, but maybe if the stalic drops maybe another 10 points, then we might have a problem in our hands. So what are you going to do? So he's tacky and throwing PVCs. What are you going to think of? Maybe lights? So maybe throw in some, some laps for recheck K and mag. Is Does he look kind of dry? Is, do you have a chance to check a CVP? Is the CVP 2 or 1? Is, is, is it low? Is it lower than, than the patient's average? You can check a BNP for fluid status in, in, in the vessels, things like that. Maybe you want to give him a little bowl of so 500 just to kind of take him, take him up a notch, right? So those are like your problem-solving things. So hypotension, you're going to first think of, of either kind of fluid imbalance or is it kind of sepsis going on? And with tachycardia and tachyarrhythmias, is he bleeding somewhere? Is he have a fever? Things like that. So you want to kind of address... You really want to figure out how is your patient different and then you want to figure out what could be causing these things and you just kind of check them off the list. You solve each problem at, at one by one. And yeah, that's actually a very good point. When, when it comes to problem solving, your skills of problem solving will also um, matter where you work, correct? So 
I feel like the experiences that we had, we have a lot of autonomy. We had a lot of things that we had to do on our own, figure it out, or there wasn't a resident or an NP at night shift, right? And same thing here, we're kind of doing a little bit more problem solving. Uh, Another place is like, I've heard like Mayo Clinic, all these big freaking hospitals, there's always residents, there's always people, and a nurse just asks anything and they have an answer right away. Mm. So your problem solving is also going to matter where you are. I think majority of nurses that maybe are listening are kind of, you know, sporadically spread out everywhere. So they might be dealing with um, critical patients and solving things themselves before they make that phone call to the physician or whatever. Correct, correct. The last two I'm sure we could talk about, you know, simultaneously. So organization and time management, those are literally go hand in hand, just like a lot of these, but these especially go hand in hand, especially now during this these C19 times, this, this pandemic. Like for us to best take care of these patients and prevent the spread of infection, we don't want to be in the room for very long periods of time, right? Yeah. So we want to cluster our care. So a key to good time management, a good organization is to kind of be in the room, be in and out of the room as least, least amount as possible and do as much efficient work in that room as each time like you're there. Yeah. So you know, like you're gonna cluster your care. So if you're gonna need to change the tube feeding, uh, maybe the pump's beeping for, for tube feeds because you need to put new feeding in there, right? Maybe you could do your bath then and change all of the like linens while you're there, do oral care. You can do all that at the same time because that's good time management, it's a good organization, right? Yeah. So that's probably like the, the best example I could give because the worst thing in, in these times is going in the room, gowning up, putting on your N95 or your, or your pepper, going in and then you forgot a med crush. You forgot, you forgot the pill crusher and now you can't give the, the meds. So now, now you gotta, now you gotta find somebody and mm-hmm. flag them down and be like, hey, can you give me this little stuff? And you know, it'll, it's, it's gonna irritate a nurse and they're trying to do their job and you gotta flag them down every few minutes because you forgot some alcohol swabs. And you're gonna frustrate yourself flushes, too. you know, and to yourself, yeah. yeah. But anything that, that frustrates, frustrates me a lot, like an isolation room, it's like, damn, I forgot one little thing. Especially if like before I entered the room, I was like, I got this, I got, one, two, three, four, and I walk up. It's like, damn, I forgot five, and it's like the worst. Like, so you're just frustrated because you're not just wasting time, and you're taking away time from the patient care and all that. Yeah, that's how I am with um, like grabbing meds. So because we don't have Pixis's, <laughs> old fashioned, it's called the Omnicell. It doesn't tell you what meds are due at what time. So I always take an alcohol swab and write down all these damn meds, and then when I'm in the med room, I just kind of check them off on my alcohol swab, see what's missing, what I need to order from pharmacy. And with, with time management, so I kind of got down blood draws pretty damn good. So if you have two C19 patients, like you can't be in and out of the room. You can't like give out dirty labs, you know, and you can't put the bag in the room and then take it out because it's technically contaminated. So like what we do is we put like bags, the, um, a little Ziploc baggie outside of the rooms. I tape it on the wall and then I bring a bag of ice and I put it on my pump separately. So then when I draw my labs, I throw in everything in the air into the Ziploc baggie and then I put a lactic into the ice and boom, everything's ready to go. Or I even set up my cup. Sometimes I like to draw the um, blood gases for the respiratory. So I have a separate cup of ice ready in both rooms. When I draw gases back to back at like 3.30 a.m., I just put the ABGs in there and uh, what's it called in the cups and they're already sitting outside waiting ready for respiratory to take them. So I'll organize myself like that too. And then boom, four o'clock hits, you're doing temps, you're doing I's and O's. And then by 4.15, I could chart again. So you kind of run your own day, you know? You can tell when somebody's organized and like on top of it. And there's nurses that are struggling to do the regular task because they're just not as efficient with planning and organization. It makes hella difference if you are organized. 
All right, thank you guys for spending this time with us. Once again, this episode was basically about why we enjoy the ICU. And the main reason why we enjoy the ICU was patient ratios, makes it more marketable, more critical thinking, and we like to be there for our patient in our most vulnerable times. And we also touched upon a few qualities of good ICU nurses. Shout out to all the ICU nurses that are working and anybody that's interested, don't be discouraged. Give it a damn try. It's very rewarding. Give it a try. And shout out to all the frontline warriors. Peace out. Peace.